Braxton Betts Hamilton was 11 years old when strange things started to happen in her home, a home that up until that point had been extremely predictable. Axton grew up in rural Indiana in a small town, just 7,000 people, surrounded by cornfields and lots of relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents. You were guaranteed to run into somebody you knew. (laughs) If you want to have a reunion, just go to Walmart. I mean, that's how it felt. Her mom was an accountant, her dad a manager at a grocery store. After school, Axton would ride three-wheelers with her cousins. Then she'd come home to take out dinners, and her mom glued to the home shopping network. And so she would lay on Grandpa's couch and just shop. She would just, you know, be calling QVC and the Home Shopping Network, buying jewelry. Every day, pretty much the same. Until Axton turned 11. This was 1993. Her family, whenever they'd go out and check their mailbox, they'd notice that little by little, their mail started to disappear. You know, cards and letters weren't coming magazines weren't coming, bills weren't coming. And they had no idea why. I mean, who would want their mail? Mom theorized that, well, it's someone just driving up and down the road stealing mail. And so her mom thought, okay, well, I'll just open a P.O. box. But then mail started disappearing from there, too. And they weren't just missing things like bills, you know, the kind of mail that someone would use to steal their financial information— It was also random things, like the farm magazine her dad subscribed to. That just stopped coming every month. Her dad would call the magazine, arguing that he paid for it. Where is it? And, you know, on the other end, they would say, well, we did receive your check, and we are sending it. And he said, well, no, you're not sending it because they never show up, so give me me my money back. The mail thief seemed to have no rhyme or reason. Bills, birthday cards, even letters from Axon's pen pal. All of it, gone. It felt confusing and also incredibly personal. I really wanted to know why. You know, why would someone do this? And what have we done to this person or persons that have made them so angry that they've been doing this to us for years? Who, what, and why? I wanted answers. Axon's family started to piece together that this wasn't just a weird case of mail being stolen. No, this was way worse. Someone was stealing their identity. I'm Eddie Mejres, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show for Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. This week on the show, who stole Axon's family mail? And eventually, their identity. Identity theft is actually one of the fastest-growing crimes. It's something that 1 in 10 people will experience at some point in their lives. And as Axton and her family learn, victims of identity theft don't just lose money or good credit. They often lose a sense of control over their entire lives. It's a predicament that would consume more than 20 years of Axton's life. What started out as just this weird anomaly, missing magazines, letters that never came, turned into very big real-world problems. Because, of course, some of the missing mail were bills. Phone bills, medical bills, stuff like that. They could afford to pay them. Both of her parents had good jobs. But this is before the internet. So without physical bills, her parents literally just didn't know that they owe money or how much. 
so they started to fall behind on payments. Eventually, their landline got shut off, so they had to buy an expensive prepaid cell phone. Then their electricity got shut off, which meant they were mostly relying on sunlight. We had this enclosed patio in the back of our house. And I remember going out there in the patio in my coat and hurrying up and doing my homework because it was still light. Because I didn't want to do my homework by flashlight. Then someone from the gas company came over to shut off their gas. The guy told him it was because they weren't making utility payments for an address they'd never even heard of. The mail theft had taken a turn. Whoever was stealing their mail had now also stolen their identity. They soon discovered that this thief also took out credit cards and endorsed bad checks under her parents' names. Right away, her mom reported it to the police, but it didn't really go anywhere. Instead, they were the ones getting into trouble. One day, the sheriff's deputy came over to the house. He said Axon's mom had been passing bad checks in the next town over, and he was there, handcuffs ready, to arrest her and take her to jail. Her dad insisted that it was just a huge misunderstanding. And dad explained to the sheriff's deputy that couldn't possibly be true and that there was an identity thief that had been plaguing the family for years at that point and that this has to do with that. Eventually, her dad convinced the officer to not arrest her mom. They felt terrified and helpless. In all of this, it started to compound in the way identity theft compounds. The thief goes into debt in your name, fails to pay that debt, then debt collectors start to call. Her parents' credit scores tanked. And then, as they often do, these money problems turned into relationship problems. Her parents had been together since they were 13, but now it felt like they were strangers in their own house. Her mom started working long hours to cover the mounting bills, and her dad spent more and more time working on the family farm. Axon fended for herself for dinner and spent nights in her bedroom reading, where she'd often overhear her parents shouting in the kitchen. Like, what in the hell's going on? Why are they doing this? I want to find out who's doing this, hold them accountable. And see, mom would always say, I'm taking care of it. In Axon's family, her mom was kind of the boss. She took charge of the finances. My mom um, had a bachelor's degree in finance. So Mm -hmm. she was considered the financial guru of the family. And my dad didn't go to college. So, of course, when someone stole their financial life, Axon's mom took charge of that, too. It consumed her. Her mom started to keep a running list of suspects. At first, she thought maybe it was her brother-in-law, Axton's uncle. She said he worked for the post office. And that uncle has had a criminal history. And so mom basically pointed the finger at him and said, well, it has to be him. Or maybe it was the next-door neighbor who'd had a property dispute with Axton's grandpa. And then she said that his son must be responsible for our phone being shut off because his son worked for the phone company. Then she suspected an ex-co-worker of hers who had been barred from the SEC for financial malpractice. And then she thought maybe it was just someone who envied them for inheriting her father's big farm and they were out for sabotage. Really, everyone in this small town that had been their family's home for generations suddenly turned from neighbors into suspects. 
Her parents would tell her over and over. Trust no one. Hmm. Because we don't know who's responsible for this. And it's, you know, most likely someone very close to us. This paranoia, it took over their lives. The older I got, the more restrictive things got. And in, in terms of if mom and dad weren't home, mom said I could not go in the backyard by myself. I could not go in the woods by myself. I was not allowed to open the curtains. Wow. Because someone might see me and snatch me. Did, did it almost feel like, I don't know, this identity thief was just like a boogeyman? Yes. <laughs> like always there, but you can't really see them. They stopped inviting relatives over, stopped letting Axton hang out with friends. Their entire world shrunk to just the three of them. While her mom made suspect lists, Axton fantasized about catching this identity thief. She'd lie on their orange living room carpet while her dad watched TV. And I remember telling dad, someday I'm going to find the person responsible for this and I'm going to hold them accountable and they won't be able to do this to us anymore. And we won't have to live like this. One day, about three years into all of this, Axton was home alone. It was summertime. And I heard a vehicle outside and I peered through a crack in the curtains. And I saw this beat up looking van pull in the driveway. She saw this strange man walking through the gate and suddenly heard her dad's voice in her head. If someone crosses the gate, you have to take care of it. Take care of it, as in run them off the property. Herself. There was no calling the police. They didn't trust the police. Axton, still in her pajamas, put on her mom's oversized tennis shoes. And so I grabbed a butcher knife, and I slinked out the back door. I got right up behind them, and I screamed, Who the fuck are you? Knife held in the air. Oh, my God. And he wheeled around, and he put his hands in the air, and he said, I'm the plumber. And I said, you're lying. And I said, get out of here. Get out of here. And I backed him down the driveway with the knife in the air. Oh, my God. How old were you? I'm 14. The guy got in his van and took off. Later, Axton would find out that He was, in fact, a plumber. Her grandpa had hired him but forgot to tell them. Still, she says when her parents found out what happened, they were proud of her. She'd done what needed to be done. But eventually, as this dragged on for years, through junior high and then high school, and as her graduation neared, she'd fantasize less about catching the thief and more about just getting out, leaving all of this behind her and starting over. Just like, is this all there is? Hmm. You know, is this what life is? You know, the the isolation, yeah. the yeah. can't talk to anybody, always got to have, you know, eyes in the back of your head and be looking over your shoulder, you know, for someone to get you. Because if this is all there is, what's the point? She felt like the only way out was going to college, far from town. So she applied to Purdue. So I, I graduated from high school on December 23rd. I was at Purdue on January 7th. Axon's parents dropped her off. And as she walked into her dorm, one of the first things she noticed was this black landline phone. After my parents left, I just picked up the phone and listened to the dial tone because it had been so long since I had been around a working 
landline, you know? (laughs) For the first time in a long time, she felt normal. She felt free. I thought the identity thief was over there. You know, the identity thief, they're over there. They can't touch me here. Axton had always enjoyed helping her dad on the farm, so she decided to major in agricultural economics. By her second semester, she had gotten a job with her department, cataloging and helping check out equipment. Then her sophomore year, she got her own place in this old apartment building. But when she tried to set up utilities... The uh, electric company sent me a letter in the mail and said, due to your credit score, we're requiring a $100 deposit to establish service. She was confused. But she thought having no credit can be just as limiting as having bad credit. So she figured that was the problem. She was only 19. She hadn't built any yet. So she ordered a copy of her credit report. And when it arrived a few weeks later, she sat down on the green floral couch her parents gave her, flipped to the page with her credit score, and saw a number staring back at her. 380. And I remember thinking at the time, well, if 100 is perfect, you know, because 100 on the paper is perfect, well, 380 must be almost be four times as perfect, right? That's good. And yeah, then I saw great. the right, and, you know, and then there was a bell curve <laughs> that showed that my credit score was in the second percentile of all credit scores Whoa. in the nation. Axon flipped through the pages, and she quickly realized that her very first credit report should not be 10 pages long. Mine was full of fraudulent credit card entries and associated collection agency entries that dated back to the time that my parents' identities had been stolen in 1993. The identity thief had been preying on not just her parents, but also on Axton since she was 11 years old. It's one thing to be angry at adults. But then, but then to, you know, to do this to their child, no, that's taking it to the next level. Her parents' boogeyman, the thief she'd left behind, had now very clearly become her problem, too. That's after the break. It's easy to know you want to make a change in your life, but it is hard to actually do it. How to Be a Better Human from TED is a podcast for when self-help feels too daunting or maybe even unrealistic or just not for you. I'm Chris Duffy, the host of How to Be a Better Human, and trust me, I do not have it all figured out. But join me as I talk to experts about actually attainable ways we can try to improve our lives, whether it's facing fears, setting boundaries, cleaning your house without feeling like a failure, or all sorts of other topics. Find How to Be a Better Human wherever you get your podcasts. Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. 
Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Axton sat on that floral couch, staring at her credit report. The life she thought she left behind was suddenly ambushing her. With each turn of the page, her future feeling dimmer. I really felt like I would never own anything. You know, I would never own a house. I would never own a car. You know, the natural milestones of being an adult, I, I felt like that was not going to be in the cards for me. The first thing she did was call her parents. Her dad was furious. Why on earth had the thief gone after his daughter? Dad wanted to go hunt him down, you know, because it's one thing to do it to him and mom. It's another thing to do it to me. Meanwhile, her mom tried to reassure her. She said to not take the identity theft personally, that what identity thieves do is they use your credit for as long as they can and then they move on to somebody else. But Axton couldn't move on, even if she wanted to. Every time she approached some new milestone of adulthood, she hit a wall. Like, it was nearly impossible to rent a nice apartment. And when it would get to the stage of, well... You know, we need you to fill out this form so we can do a credit check. I would just leave. I wouldn't even fill out the application. I already knew the response would be no. Then there was the time her student credit card was canceled without notice. She didn't find out until she was in line with $800 worth of books. Meanwhile, thousands of dollars of debt was accruing in her name on credit cards, none of which was actually hers. She tried to reason with the creditors, but she says they essentially accused her of lying. Debt collectors came after her constantly. By the time she was in graduate school, she dreaded going to the mailbox or answering the phone. She figured it would just be more threats from collection agencies. In fact, I wouldn't even let my fiancé answer the phone. You know, because he grew up where the phone rings, you answer it. No, no, you can't do that. (laughs) The identity thief was consuming her life all over again. So she filed a police report hoping maybe this police department would finally crack the case, finally bring their thief to justice, hopefully in a blaze of glory, you know, with lights, sirens, and TV cameras. But instead... What I got was a police report that said unknown thief opened credit cards in the victim's name. And the police, she says, essentially wished her good luck. By then, her parents had also stopped trying to track down the thief. It became very clear that the, that the person most interested in resolving our case was me. Hmm. So in order to do that, I had to learn as much as I could about identity theft. So she enrolled in a doctorate program. Axon decided to get a PhD in the problem that had plagued her life. She'd study why people steal others' identities and what we can do to stop it. Accident learned that identity theft has evolved over time. With advances in technology, it only gets worse and harder to control. In 2012, while Accident was getting her PhD, Americans lost nearly $25 billion because of people stealing their identities. Accident also learned some of the typical red flags of identity thieves. Like, they're much more likely to have a criminal history, use drugs, and spend outside their means. That made her think back to the relatives and neighbors who seemed to match that criteria. Then she started drafting her own list of suspects that she'd tuck away in her desk drawer. Now she was the family detective. Axton was just about to finish this research and get her doctorate 
when she got devastating news. Her mom had been diagnosed with leukemia. Six months after that diagnosis, a nurse told Axton that her mom didn't have much longer. She felt disoriented. For so long, it had been just her, her dad, and her mom, you know, the three of them against the world. And now, as she was getting so close to graduating, finding the thief, and really giving her mom her life back, Axton was losing her. She wanted to cram every milestone into her mom's final days. A touch of her graduation, and also her wedding. She was engaged by then, so she decided to have the wedding right there in the hospital room, officiated by the hospital chaplain. She remembers racing home to grab her makeshift wedding gown. I wore my regalia because mom was too sick to travel to Iowa to come to my doctoral graduation. And so she'd never seen it. So Mm. my wedding gown was my regalia. In the hour that it took her to go to her house and get dressed, the nurses had used their own money to decorate the hospice room. They went to a nearby grocery store, bought cake and cupcakes and sparkling grape juice and flowers and put makeup on mom. And they put a sheet on the floor for a runner and sprinkled rose petals on (laughs) it. Oh, my God. All within the hour. The room had been transformed. Her mom went into a coma within a few hours of the impromptu wedding. 36 hours later, she passed away. Axon's mom told her that she didn't want any kind of service after her death, not even an obituary. So Axton and her dad mourned quietly, mostly alone. Then, a few weeks later, Axton got a call that would change her life yet again. She was at home in Illinois, and her dad called her up. He'd been looking through a box of her mom's old paperwork, and he found an overdue credit card statement in Axon's name. He was furious with me. And he said, What in the hell were you doing running a credit card over limit in 2001? She quickly shot back. I said, Dad, that was one of the credit cards that was taken out in my name as part of the identity theft. Where'd you find that? And he said, Well, it's in here in a, in a file folder of your mother's with your birth certificate. Axton was confused. What birth certificate is it? Because I knew exactly where the original was. I had it. He told her it was a certified copy issued in 2000. But Axton thought about it. There was no way she could have gotten that authorized herself in 2000. She was in college at the time, miles away from home. There is absolutely no reason that my birth certificate should be in a file folder with a credit card statement that's past due. Mm-hmm. Unless the credit card issuer questioned the account and they required additional proof that I was who I said I was. Her heart started racing, her blood rushing through her ears. I knew right then. I knew right then the true identity of the identity thief had been revealed. Axton stood dumbstruck in the middle of her living room. For 20 years, the identity thief wreaking havoc on the lives of the Betts family was her own mother. I felt cold. 
Mm. Or really, I mean, I really felt cold. I mean, you know, when, you know, when I say my blood ran cold, I felt cold. She just kept thinking, there's no way, there's just no way. But the proof was right there with the credit card statements buried in her mom's box of old paperwork. Suddenly, so many scenes in her life started rewriting themselves. Like the time the sheriff came to arrest her mom for bad checks. That sheriff was right. She should have been arrested. Or how her mom insisted they open a P.O. box, which actually probably made it easier for her mom to steal the mail. Then there was the way that Axon's mom pitted them against the town. Of course, made it easier to cover her tracks. Axon had been dreaming of this moment ever since she was a preteen lying on that orange carpet in their living room, vowing to her father that she'd find the thief. Now that she finally had, she felt this truly awful, confusing mix of emotions. First, it was this wave of relief. I solved the case after 20 years. The, the impossible had been achieved. And then the other emotion pulling me in the other direction was, but it's mom. You know, holy shit, it's mom. And then it kind of turned to rage as in, you know, the reason we've lived the way we've lived for 20 years is because of her. Like, had you ever suspected your mom? No. No, she's your mom. Right, and, you know, she was suffering uh, from the effects of the identity theft, too. You know, when our electricity was shut off, when our, or when our phone was shut off, it was shut off for her, too. Yeah. She was experiencing the negative consequences. So she did look like a victim, too, sitting there in the dark, you know, by candlelight, you know, waiting for the power to be restored. Almost immediately, Axton shifted out of emotion and into analysis mode. Because in one more twist of ironic fate, she, of course, had a PhD in exactly what she now had to do, which is figure out the motivation of an identity thief. So mom became something to be analyzed and understood. The question was no longer who did this, it was why. I really wanted to know what motivated mom and that what was the point? What was the point in all this? And where did the money go? What was she spending it on? Because we didn't see anything new and shiny mm. that in her possession. When she passed away in 2013, she drove a 1999 Lincoln Town car. You know, she had a lot of shoes, but cheap shoes. Right. Her jewelry was costume jewelry. Axon told her dad, save all the documents you can find. I said, do not throw anything else away until I get there. I said, anything that looks suspicious, just put it on the workbench. Well, by the time I got home two weeks later for spring break, there was a mountain of papers on the workbench. She poured through those papers and found all kinds of other things her mom had kept secret. Mom had been applying for bank accounts uh, out of state in her name and dad's name. There were pawn shop receipts for a laptop and her golf clubs. We think her wedding ring was pawned because we never found, we never found it. They also discovered her mom hadn't been paying taxes for years. Her dad, already facing his wife's death and betrayal, now also faced an eviction. We found a mailbox at a UPS store that mom had, and there were 13 certified letters from the IRS, and they were ready to take the house. Wow. 
Axton found a way to log into her mom's Facebook account and started combing through her online life. Buried in her mom's Facebook messages, Axton discovered another big lie. Her mom had been having an affair. She found dozens of messages to her friends talking about this other man, and eventually Axton uncovered credit card statements showing routine visits to a Super 8 motel. Axton wondered, what else was she lying about? I kind of became this amateur cold case investigator where, in going through mom's Facebook messages, I started calling people. Mm. If they didn't return my calls, I showed up on their doorstep. Really? When Axton saw a Facebook notice for her mom's 40-year high school alumni banquet, she paid the entrance fee, showed up at the high school gym, and made a beeline for the class of 74 table. When I got there, I learned that she had been telling people she was divorced. Um, And in fact, she told people that she didn't have any children. So me showing up and saying that I'm her child through the people who were there for a loop. In the back of the room, they had set up a memoriam display for classmates who died. When Axton looked for her mom, she found her listed as Pam Elliott, her maiden name. There was no mention of Axton or of her dad. That's the woman they knew, which was not the woman that I knew. Axton's mom had lived a double life. And in doing so, she'd not only stolen their identities, she'd erased them entirely. In the months after discovering the truth, Axton had debilitating anxiety attacks. She even had one while she was at her doctor's office waiting to refill her anxiety meds. She had to run out because it felt like she couldn't breathe. I also went through, like, some depersonalization. Like, I, I, like I would be, mm-hmm. like, for example, I'd be driving along and all of a sudden I'd feel like I was just floating out of my body. Mm-hmm. You know, like watching myself drive. Even though her mind had gone into analysis mode, her body was still reeling from the shock of it all. To this day, Axton still doesn't know the extent of her mom's betrayal. From her research, she knows that minors are more likely to become victims of identity theft. And more often than not, the perpetrator is someone they know. In many cases, parents steal their children's identities out of financial desperation. But that clearly was not the case here. Since her mom took out everything in cash advances, it's hard to know where the money went. All told, there's still at least $200,000 unaccounted just from the last two years of her mom's life. But Axon, she suspects that number could be much higher. She did brag to a colleague years ago that she had money hidden in Ohio and Dad and I would never find it. And you haven't been able to uncover? No. Any money in Ohio? Hmm. Which makes me think if there is money in Ohio, it's tied up in some business account. Meanwhile, Axton did discover some things about her family. Like, in the process of reaching out to relatives, she learned that her grandma, who she'd never met, also had problems with spending. It was so bad that her grandfather considered filing for bankruptcy. She also wonders if her mom suffered from some undiagnosed mental illness. I talked with Axton's dad, who said the same thing. He told me he truly had no idea that his wife was behind it all. If you think about it, Axon's mom had orchestrated this story where she was the hero, the unquestioned boss of the family keeping all the supposed boogeymen at bay, while in reality, 
she was the one controlling the bounds of their small world, quietly wreaking havoc herself. Mom was a master manipulator. Mom isolated us in such a way that no one could offer a differing perspective. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't we trust her to see the identity theft and do everything that she could to address it? And looking back, Axon feels like her mom never expressed any guilt. Even when she was on her deathbed, she didn't offer any explanation or any bridge to the truth. If your mom were alive today, what would justice look like for you? My dream always was to identify the person or persons responsible for the identity theft and then hold them accountable through the justice system. And if mom were alive today, I, I would press charges. Hmm. So much of Axon's life has been shaped by her mom's deceit. She was able to restore her credit, but... The thing with identity theft is usually the cost is a lot bigger, a lot more complicated than whatever dollar amount you've been robbed of. Axon still thinks of the humiliation and the intense fear she felt growing up, and just the loss of a childhood. But for Axton, it's even more complicated because her successes, her PhD, her book deal, a career she loves, that all traces back to her mom's betrayal too. So her urn is with me, still really? today. Where is it in the house? It's a, it, it's up here in my uh, home office, and it's on the bottom shelf of a ladder shelf, next to a copy of my book, and the copy of my book is on an easel. And next to that is a plaque that says, "Success is the best revenge." <laughs> wow! A psychologist would would, would have fun <laughs> with that one. Axon says people in her life ask her all the time, how did you miss this? Even after all of your research, how did you not know it was your mom? And there are the seemingly logical reasons. Her mom had made a career out of finances, and she was good at covering her tracks. But also, I think it makes sense to not question those closest to you. You know, the people who supposedly love you. There can be a lot of blind spots when it comes to family. And, well, some truths only become clear when you've got some distance from them. In Axon's case, it took 20 years to realize just how deeply her mom had puppeteered her life. But for now, her mom will stay put, right on that bottom shelf in her office. You can learn more about Axon's story in a book she wrote called The Less People Know About Us, A Mystery of Betrayal, Family Secrets, and Stolen Identity. All right, that is all for this week's show. If you like what we do, please rate us and leave us a review. That stuff actually really helps us out. We'll be back with a new episode next week. But in the meantime, if you want to catch more This Is Uncomfortable, each Friday I write about what's on my mind in our newsletter, which includes some recommendations from the team on things to read and cook and watch. It's got a lot of exclusive stuff that you are not going to find on this podcast. This week I share a little story about how I got engaged and how stressed out I feel planning a wedding during a pandemic. So yeah, you can read about that and a lot more by subscribing at marketplace.org slash comfort. 
This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Hreis, Megan Dietry, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon Rosen, and Camila Kerwin. Camila Kerwin was the lead producer on this episode. Our editor is Karen Duffin. Our intern is Markay Green. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Engineering and sound design by Drew Jostad. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy.